Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. We are in a little bit different venue today, um, but it's much more entertaining than what we usually do. I've I've actually been excited to have this discussion uh, for about a month now, a little over a month, because we're going to do the um, after action from... (laughs) After, After action report. The after action reporter, I don't know what the, the fallout report, the, if I feel like a war correspondent right now after what happened with the election. So of course we have one of our favorite uh, people back with us, uh, Mike Beasley. He's been on the show a number of times. And if you are a legislative policy uh, nerd at all, you look forward to as we do to have um, Mike back with us. So Mike, it was so good to see you. We It's been so hectic ever since election day. This is the first time we've actually had a convert, gotten to have a conversation with you about any of this. So we saw you maybe a week before, if, if that, before the election. Um, and then the conversation that we had at that point, that week before, compared to what actually happened was pretty surprising. I don't think anybody expected exactly what happened. So can you just give us from your, from where you're sitting, what, uh, what transpired? Well, um, it's good to good to see you all. And thank you for having me on um, today. You know, this election was one that um, uh, election day was filled with a lot of surprise. Pollsters who predicted a red wave were surprised. Uh, Democrat <laughs> pollsters who felt like they were going to lose the Colorado Senate um, and lose four or five seats in the Colorado House. Um, that Michael Bennett's race would be competitive were surprised because they were wrong. And what 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 polling didn't capture, especially with the week before the election, there isn't a lot of polling, was Colorado rejected Trumpism uh, again in the clearest form. And and this was one of those midterm elections from the Congress to the county courthouse where, you know, when a new, new president moves into the White House, it's typically their party loses seats up and down uh, the ticket. And that didn't happen here, not just in Colorado, but around the country. And the reason that that president loses seats is because it ends up being a referendum on that presidency. And 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 this wasn't a referendum on Joe Biden. This was a, a yet another, an ongoing referendum on Donald Trump. And the voters in 2020 said, you know, we really don't like Donald Trump and we don't like these policies. Uh, we don't like, you know, election denialism, et cetera. And so in 2022, they you could really see the turnout of Republicans go downward and unaffiliateds go upward. And they really punished the Republican Party and they really punished them from top to bottom with with rare exceptions. Did you see ticket splitting and in the action 22 footprint? You saw a Republican county commissioner get elected first and that. Um, and it was really unusual occurrence statewide. 
to see that kind of, of ticket splitting. And they punish Republicans, even Republicans who, you know, made claims in their campaigns that Donald Trump lost, for example, in the Secretary of State's race. And you'll see all of those candidates lost by similar margins. Um, Democrats beat incumbents who did, uh, in the legislature who didn't really work very hard. You know, they were in safe Republican seats and four or five of them lost in places like Highland Ranch. Uh, in um, Weld County, uh, Republicans lost a House seat there um, that has been Republican for as long as I can remember, and I'm, I'm old. So um, it created majorities in the Colorado House I've never been in 35 years. I've never seen one party hold 46 seats. I've seen Republicans have 45 seats, uh, but now Democrats will have 46. And and then the state Senate out of 35, the Democrats will have 23 to be veto proof in both chambers. You need 24 in the Senate and 44 uh, in the House. So they're even close to being veto proof. So I know this is um, a very elementary thing for you, but I've, told a few people that it's veto, that that's veto proof. And they look at me, they do not understand what that means. Can you just tell everybody, can you define what veto proof means? It means even if the legislature was strong, uh, it, it, even if a governor vetoed something, if the legislature, even of his own party, decided he they didn't agree with him, they could just over, they had the votes to override him just within their own party. And that really is... You know, when I first started in the late 80s as an intern, there were 25 Republican senators and there were like 44 Republicans in the House. And so um, look in 35 years how the demographics and political climate has changed. It's upside down now. And and Democrats, um, again, I think we're just as surprised on the day after the election as Republicans. Um, They're, you know, and I've joked with a couple of them behind the scenes. They're kind of like the dog that caught the car. And so (laughs) and I think think what they're going to find is that um, um, respectfully, I think they're going to find the campaigning and and having Donald Trump help you get elected is a lot easier than governing. And governing will be the challenge. And that what some and the things, the policies that they're considering are what we're going to talk about a lot over the next six months. I wanted to ask your insight on one uh, race in particular, and that was the Secretary of State. We had um, on one side the Democrat candidate who was being sued by her own party, and on the other side you had the Republican candidate who was um, on the cover of, I think, Time magazine as being one of the defenders of democracy, being named as one of the defenders of the defenders of democracy. Uh, Even at that, that margin was ludicrous in my mind. Um, Is it that extreme where it's just that or was it just what happened there? That should have been a much closer margin if it was going to go to the dem- to the incumbent. Look again, I don't think these races were about local issues or local candidates. The, this was another referendum on Donald Trump. So it didn't matter that uh, the incumbent Secretary of State or Pam Anderson, the Republican nominee, shared similar views on election integrity um, or um, our election system in Colorado. 
voters just punished Republicans right down the ticket um, and really wanted to reject Republicans. And, you know, Republicans have, and this was the strongest ticket I, ticket I would argue that Republicans have put forward since 2002. Mm-hmm. And remember in that year, Bob Beaupre won a new seat in uh, Jefferson County. Uh, Bill Owens got reelected. Wayne Allard got reelected. That was a very strong Republican ticket. Um, and um, boy, the voters just was having none of it. And it didn't help Republicans, the fact that they were so uh, outspent by Democrats. And if you and if the folks that are listening and watching today think I'm making this up, um, if Democrats felt like they were winning going into election, they wouldn't have spent the money that they spent. Right. Uh, from the top of the ticket to the bottom. I mean, they were, again, I would argue they were just as surprised as Republicans um, that they that they won. And, and, and now, you know, now the hard work and we get into the policy and, and Republicans need to, they're going to have to do some soul searching and they're going to have to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. It's taken them 25 years to get into this mess. They're basically 25% of the active electorate in Colorado. I mean, I had more people at my wedding reception, right? So, <laughs> and, um, so they're going to have to figure out what, you know, to continue the trend of nominating good candidates because Colorado and the political process generally democracy, and I'm a nerd, is better off when you have good, viable, major parties. But the Republicans are close to slipping off into being a, a, um, a, a minor party. Um, and, and that's really going to be a problem for them if they if they don't get it together. I, I have to throw this in first. Um, please accept our apologies if a kid runs by or a dog barks because we're in my dining room right now. Um, so, you know, we, we went to Colorado Cooperation like a week ago or two weeks ago. And they had uh, Dick Wadhams come up and speak and just kind of give his after action report on the election. Um, he was quoted, I believe, in the Denver Post as saying that this is we won't see Republicans anywhere in power um, for a generation. And one important point that he brought up was for the success of Republicans in Colorado, they have to completely divorce Donald Trump. Um on the ground now, um, there's a, kind of a massive reorganization of local Republican parties up to the state Republican Party. Uh, and it's interesting to watch because you have one side doubling down on Donald Trump, and then you have the other side kind of like, hey, we, we need to be our own party again. You know, We need to be, go back to the Republican Party. Just what, what do you feel? How, like, read the ether. How how do you feel it's going to go? Do you think the Republicans are going to double down on Donald Trump going into the next election? Or do you think you will see that kind of divorce from the Trump politics in the Republican Party? I do think you'll see a divorce from Donald Trump. And I I don't say that lightly, because I, I but I do believe they're going to get there. And I believe if he stumbles and doesn't become the nominee, that he will threaten their party by uh, the Republican Party by going a third party route similar to what Ross Perot did years ago. And so I, I can see that. And I think they're going to have to have those kind of that civil war internally to get um, to a better place as a party. And uh, that better place is just straight viability. So my big fear right now, as we prepare for the legislative session is just a, um, it was so important to punish Republicans as we saw, as you, as you talked about, is that what we're going to see in the legislation? 
you think it's just a continuation of, well, this just won us the election. We need to double down on publishing or punishing Republicans. Well, look, I, I don't see it. Uh, the electorate is different than the elected officials. And, mm-hmm. and I don't see a punishment of, I don't see Democrats in these majorities punishing the other party, but they ran on an agenda that was fairly progressive. And even though the, the, Republicans uh, and the business community and others express concern over the direction Colorado is going in terms of criminal justice reform, tax policy, school finance, um, environmental policy. They got elected and they got elected in record numbers. So uh, many of the Democrats I talked to across the state believe they have a mandate to pursue those policies. And so far, uh, those are the conversations that I'm seeing and participating in. uh, on behalf of Action 22 and my other clients. All right, so let's get it. Let's do a dive on what you see being the top issues. Um, but before, and you did this last year, this time uh, before the legislative session, where you called what the big distractor would be. The issue, there's always an issue every session that's the big one, and it's usually one that Action Twenty Two doesn't get involved in. But it's the it ends up being spending a lot of time is spent on this one. What's the big one? And you you called it last year, and I was surprised when you said it, but you were absolutely right. And that was abortion. What's the big one this year? You know, I don't know that it is an issue. I think it's going to be, uh, an, uh, I don't know that it'll be an issue. That'll be a distraction. It'll be, how do these new, how does this new majority in the legislature govern with these large majorities? Why is and that so, difficult? Why would that be well, a difficult? Because, you know, I mean, they only need 13 votes in the house to pass something and 18 in the Senate. But getting consensus among the majority party is going to be tough on some of these key issues. There are some that are going to want to do um, uh, land use is a perfect example. There are some that really want to stop growth and there's some that want to manage it. And then there's some that want to get out of the way. And that's all within one political party. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so finding a consensus among those many voices is going to be a challenge. And so I, I, I suspect that we're going to get into December and um excuse me, into February, and we're going to see a lot of things haven't really quite moved yet because the new majority is trying to figure out where they want to be on these policies. Uh, A a foundation of a lot of that conversation will be what does the budget look like, right? Um, Is there going to be a surplus? Is inflation still going to be an issue? Um, um, What are their top priorities? And I'm sure you're going to want to talk about that in a minute, but, you know, some of these priorities are going to be controversial and controversy controversy takes up a lot of time. So one important job that Action 22 has, and more so now than ever, um, a lot of these issues that go up um, in front of the legislation and legislature, um, like land use is a perfect example, or a statewide building code, the average voter does not care about this because they're like, you know, what's the deal? It's just a statewide building code. Like that doesn't impact me whatsoever. Um, do you think it's important for us to educate and be loud about this to show what it actually does? Because again, unless you're really paying attention, you do not realize how this affects you or your business or your school or your city or town. Well, I think to the average voter and I'll show my bias in this, my own personal bias in this issue. Um, if you're upset with, for example, how your property in a town whether it are a town or city or county in the Action 22 footprint is, imagine how upset you're going to be if someone in Denver is deciding your zoning. Exactly. 
Imagine if someone in Denver says, you know, we're not going to do single family homes anymore. Yep. Um, or imagine if they say, if you're going to have a single family home, but you have to zone it with an accessory dwelling unit, even though there's no room to park a car. Um, or the density doesn't support some of these policies. At the same time, these same people that are pushing growth control policies are talking about controlling uh, and limiting special districts and metro districts that are largely used to finance the infrastructure that support these things. So um, um, you're, you see in the paper today, Arapahoe County talking about um, uh, a 300 year requirement for water, well, that's been on the books for a dozen or so years, and it's smart to make you know to have those conversations. But you're going to see more on, on water, and they're going to you know a water quality. Um, there's current rules at the Department of Health right now saying that if you have, in my words, simple uh, explanation, if you they're moving towards rulemaking that says if you have any kind of water storage, you have to be able to treat the water on the site, which basically is like many very expensive water treatment facilities. That is really expensive and will discourage water storage, in my opinion. So they're you know growth generally, um, like we did in the early 90s, mid 90s with Governor Romer and the early 2000s with the Citizen Initiative, we're about to have a major conversation on growth and who should be in charge. And let me finally then say about that for the folks in cities and towns that may not care, but imagine being a farmer who's had four generations on a particular ranch or farm in Colorado, and that land is your 401k and someone from the state is saying, you can't do anything with that anymore. You're looking at major property rights claims. Um, and that is gonna dominate a lot of conversation during this legislative session. All right, so let's get into specific issues. Um, the And I, I ran into Kevin Balmer uh, recently, and he said the biggest thing that he's concerned about is preemptive land use. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I know you're ha- you've had the same conversation with him. I have not talked to him, but that's oh. exactly the examples. And, and Kevin Balmer, for those listening, runs the Colorado Municipal League, but uh, which is an association of our cities and towns. But I am concerned about folks in Denver saying, "Well, you can't, you can't grow here. You can't, you can't rezone here. You, um, um, you know, we talk about transit-oriented development. Well, you know, we have to make sure that if these policies pass, that they understand that life exists outside the city of Denver." And not everyone has a light rail train station. Um, and uh, those are the kind of things that I think we're going to have to talk about. From Action 22, Southern Colorado's perspective, you want smart growth and smart development. You want to, you know, COVID has taught us that as long as you can hook to the Internet, and that's always a big if in Colorado, uh, as long as you can connect to the Internet, you can work from anywhere. So we want to attract new people and new businesses to Colorado and to rural parts of Colorado. We want to also keep the ones that we have here. But if the land use policies dictated from Denver doesn't make sense, that's going to be a problem. If air quality issues, mandates don't make sense, if uh, and aren't fair, if water policy, if, you know, and transportation policy, I don't see a lot of, it's not a priority for the state of Colorado anymore to really build lane miles. They want to build electric charging stations, yeah. generally speaking. And I'm sure I've made a lot of my friends at CDOT mad by that simplification. I want to be fair, but I'm trying to boil down to kind of what the overall goals are for your for your 
uh, followers. So when the normal uh, person I've talked to, you're just, um, you're my friends or whatever, and I'm talking to them about um, not building uh, anything, single family dwellings anymore. The single family, that really is a thing that's going on right now, is that there's some discussion about building only single family dwellings, correct? That has been part of the discussion. And I think what you're going to see in the next week or two is a conversation by local governments. You know, we're only telling you what, what I'm only telling you what, what folks are hearing. There, there hasn't been a meeting yet, to my knowledge, with the governor's office necessarily or the environmental community that is pushing these policies with the Municipal League, with Colorado Counties Incorporated, with any of your members. Um, that happen to be local governments or any pro- like the Farm Bureau, uh, the Cattlemen's Association, uh, the realtors, the home builders, the folks traditionally working in the space. It's largely being done in private or I don't want to use the word secret because it's too early to start using those kind of words. But I will say I think folks are about to start to raise some real hell about, you know, if, if you're going to do these kind of things that fundamentally change the di- the direction of how we grow in Colorado, it really should be done in public and not behind closed doors. And that's what I think cities and counties are going to start to, to really raise objections over. So to put that into perspective from uh, where I'm sitting for some of our listeners, you know, when we talked about uh, wolves and the introduction of additional wolves into Colorado, that only really affects maybe very generously 2% of the people in our state, but that was put on a ballot and everybody in the state got to weigh in on this. Now we're talking about something that affects all of us and only maybe 2% of the people in the state, very generously 2% are talking about something that affects every single one of us without any, any discussion. You'll remember that last year I was bemoaning the fact that while stakeholder process isn't a requirement. It's something that begs for better legislation. And there's been a trend to depart from what we would normally consider adequate stakeholder process. So that's what we're talking about here is that all of these discussions that are happening aren't happening with that um, that general, how will this affect you and your region? And speaking of wolves, Mr. Beasley has a wolf behind his chair right now that's running around his room. <laughs> I think that's bigger than a wolf. 130 pound great Dane puppy that has been asleep for 24 hours and just decided to wake up. <laughs> of course. Uh, so, look, you know, this is what Action 22 is about, right? It's to collect voices and views and to weigh in on public policy and, and to be consistent with the values that you set as an organization. Um, and to really be a voice for for not just rural Colorado, but for a better Colorado, and and that's what we're going to do. And we're gonna we're gonna have to probably knock down some doors um, in the next month or so to really to make sure that your voices and your priorities are, are heard, and that legislators know, uh, regardless of where they're from, that again life does exist outside the city of Denver, and so or Boulder. Um, and so that's what our job is going to be. I'm very concerned about this. I'm very concerned. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I'm concerned about property tax and I want to be an equal opportunity offender. I mean, we've right. got a two year reduction in property tax and we're in the middle of that right now, but that, that 
temporary reduction is going to go back up in another year. And we're going to do a reassessment in the middle of that. So, you know, all of our properties have increased in value. And if something isn't done, um, you're going to get into 2025 and people are going to say, oh, my God, look at, you know, you're going to have a real sticker shock. So what are we going to do? But, you know, we use property tax to fund counties and we use property tax to fund schools um, and not necessarily state government. And, and the fire districts, the weed districts, and the uh, various um, services that we all rely on. And th this is also going to be a big problem. You're talking in the school finance area, the legislature trying to get communities to raise their mill levy to 27, or they're going to take state funds for them. And that, in their words, in their mind, is putting more money into schools. But it's your local money offsetting the state money so they can go spend it on the other things that they can't sustain spending for. And I know that um, Representative Escar and others from, you know, on the recovering JBC members and others would disagree, but we have created spending in Colorado's budget that we can't sustain in the healthcare space and education space and other corrections and other important areas. And it's coming home to roost and it's coming home quick. So property tax, school finance, those are really important issues for Action 22's um, uh, communities. And it's something that I know you guys will remain vigilant on. And those are constitutional requirements. The things that you just listed are required to be funded um, in Colorado State Constitution. So it is a Rob Peter to pay Paul kind of situation and it's going to get it's going to get worse all right let's talk about so we talked about property taxes and school finance um can we give a, a moment to crime it's one of the things that we heard a lot we've heard a lot about in the last uh, year especially during the election in the action 22 footprint there's a, a loose coalition that's being formed uh, right now to try to address that issue that's become an incredible and increasing burden in our communities. What are you hearing with regard to that? So I see a commitment from the legislature to want to do more for community corrections. And, and I think that um, is really good policy and, and, and wanting to keep people in kind of those settings versus in an incarcerated situation in, in a county or a state jail. And I, I think that's good policy. But there's also a debate about whether or not maybe we should do more for bond reform, make it, you know, you know, just don't, uh, if you really have to arrest people, maybe you um, don't have them in jail at all until they're uh, fully, um, uh, the, the judicial process is run its full course. So I don't see any meaningful conversations and I yet, but I'm sure there will be on auto theft, on catalytic converter theft, on a further conversation on fentanyl, but there isn't a willingness, there wasn't in the previous legislature, and I definitely don't think there will be in this new one, uh, starting in January, to toughen sentences, to put more people in jail. They're gonna struggle to put more money into um, addiction recovery. Uh, those things that we all know from our own experiences in life is so desperately needed. So I am not optimistic to see meaningful criminal justice reform that, mean, that means that crime gets better. But I think we should wait and see uh, how that evolves. You're going to see legislation on on the red flag uh, law that, you know, that really tries to identify people who are in mental, um, uh, cri mental health crisis, behavioral health crisis, uh, crises that, that 
you know, how can we help those kind of people? And there's federal money that's been available. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that, and especially in the Action 22 communities. Um, but we're going to see that kind of conversation more. That's what you'll read about in the paper versus something that deals with auto theft or those kind of things, in my opinion. So one of the fears in our region is um, stricter gun control, right? I read it just like you said that you're, we're going to look at the red flag laws and how to either enforce that or take a better look at it to make it more effective. Do you foresee any further gun control legislation being brought up or discussed? I'm sure you'll see it introduced and discussed, but I'm not sure that it'll pass. And I, I think the governor has taken a very response, you know, and I'm, I don't necessarily work in this issue, but my view is the governor's taken a very responsible kind of statesmanlike approach to this and said, you know, these are, I don't think we're going to see gun control, but we will see more behavioral health, more red flag type statutes. I think the tragedy in Colorado Springs a few weeks ago kind of underscores that, um, um, you know, the governor, um, uh, is getting a new chief of staff in this next term. It's the outgoing Speaker of the House, Alec Garnett, who's one of the best policy minds in this space. And I think he'll be um, very influential behind the scenes, uh, forming those that policy in particular. Um, and so, but I don't see gun control being dis- being discussed as something that's likely to pass, but I'm certainly, we're going to hear uh, things about safe storage and all of those things. Um, that are, you know, important to several members of these new majorities. And you don't think that uh, fentanyl is, as far as crime um, reduction and doing anything uh, heavier on fentanyl is going to be part of the discussion? After last session when we talked about, you know, when they couldn't agree to criminalize it, in my words, um, uh, or lower the, or instill a criminal penalty for fentanyl, um, even with the deaths that continue to go on, I don't see a, an appetite to to change the sentencing around uh, the possession of fentanyl. I really don't. And you saw in, in on we all saw the television ads that we all missed dearly. I'm sure in the political campaigns, but uh, in the eighth congressional district, you know there was an ad that was put out that was didn't have much airtime, but it talked about how the legislature decriminalized fentanyl, and man, did the media explode over that conversation. And, it, you know, what do you, and what I've said to folks is, you know, when I'm advocating for some of my, like my town, like that I work for, like Trinidad, well, if you, if you don't, what do you call it then? What's the word you use when, um, if a drug dealer of fentanyl knows that it had enough to kill people and he just calls in and says, hey, I, I did that and they can't be charged, if that's not decriminalizing, I'm happy to use whatever word that folks want me to use, but get out of free jail. I, I don't know what words they want <laughs> me to use, but, but that's what the legislature – and, you know, there are Democrats that want tougher sentence, so you can't say that this is just a one-party thing. And let's be fair – that original policy was done in a bipartisan fashion. Um, it had Republican sponsors on it. And that policy, in my opinion, has not worked. And and that's what Alec Garnett and others tried to fix in this last session and um, John Cook and others. And um, I, I, I'm not optimistic we're going to see anything. We'll see something new, but whether or not we see something pass into law, I'm skeptical at this point. Let's talk about water, and then we can talk about um, energy. Yes? Yeah. Okay. 
So talk to us a little bit. It's something we hear about constantly in the rural space. I don't know that people are talking about water um, at all in the urban space. So what are we seeing? Um, but something will have to be addressed. Is there anything that this legislature is doing that you think are this, um, this session, there's going to be any focus on trying to protect or are there going to be rules that are maybe going to be a hindrance? So, you know, um, uh, two worlds, right, in water. There's a regulatory world that you just referenced and then the, the legislative world. And, and on the regulatory side, you know, the Department of Health in Colorado has been very active on, on uh, different quality standards and making sure that, you know, uh, Donald Trump re- uh, administration rolled back some quality standards and they're trying to strengthen those. There's a So there's definitely a lot of noise in the rulemaking side and legislatively, um, uh, you know, the conversation is, you know, um, uh, will be centered around like the Colorado River um, and that, you know, it uh, and, and our rivers are largely over appropriated. Um, uh, and and I, I think you're going to no one has a clear answer. Uh, on what that looks like. Um, very few things came out of the interim committee on water this summer. It's one of the few committees that meet. I'm a member of the Colorado Water Congress. I mean, there aren't a lot of substantive things out there. So what that tells me is from like water users, what I think then you're going to see is um, um, conversations from the environmental community, especially after this last election, where they're going to want to do more on water quality. And for those who want to build more water that maintains stream flows uh, year round, and in your case, like the Arkansas River, for example, um, we're going to want to make sure, we're going to want to be very vigilant on those policies to make sure that the environmental community doesn't kind of overreach and make it more difficult to store water, to exchange water up and down rivers um, and, and that water rights are not impeded in any way. And so that's what I think the conversation will be about. Our attorney general is a very uh, capable uh, group on water uh, uh, within the AG's office. I know that they'll remain vigilant. And um, so that's what I think, generally speaking, we're going to see in water. But there are real no specific proposals floating around, pun intended, uh, at this point. So... Uh, there's also going to be some federal water policy that we're going to start getting into in the next year that I think Colorado has to have a unified, strong voice on that. And I, and we always have Colorado has traditionally been on the same page, Democrat, Republican, and in between when it comes to water for the state, um, energy policy, as we've seen the past years, going back decades, almost, um, the, the energy policy of Colorado has shifted and it's been sped up. That timeline that we saw a few years ago is now closer and closer. They keep moving the goalposts. What do you foresee legislatively um, with clean energy emissions? Do you see them coming out stricter, stronger, moving that goalpost both legislatively, regulatory, et cetera? Or are they kind of happy with where they're at right now? Well, they're, they're, the proponents who want to do more in terms of air quality are – you know, their job is never to be happy or satisfied yeah. or they're, you know, and, and Senator Winter has the bill that I haven't seen details on. I think she's still working on it that deals with things like the state implementation plan and regional haze 
they, that, you know, and we've done a lot of regulatory work, legislative work on stationary sources. So things like coal plants and natural gas drilling sites, those types of things. I think you're going to see more in the natural gas space trying to eliminate natural gas outright. I know of legislation that would um, uh, re- only allow the sale of high efficiency gas appliances, um, which are typically more expensive. They're going to ban the u- the sale of anything else other than those more expensive units. That, I know there's legislation in that space. I've heard stories about legislation that would say that the legislature won't review and approve a state implementation plan for air quality, that the legislature would give that up and give it back to the executive branch just for them to submit. That would be a huge erosion of legislative oversight. Mm -hmm. But they want to, you know, the proponents of that policy want, you know, they want to make it easier and give more flexibility to a governor to do those kind of plans. And so those are things that those could be really good for Colorado and good for Colorado's economy. And it could also kill it uh, just as quick as I just described how good it could be. And so there's been very little stakeholding around this. And so we're going to have to see what they come up with. And in fairness to people who wanted these policies, right? Uh, We started this conversation about elections. We didn't do a lot of policy work this summer because no one really knew who would control the legislature um uh, in particular and and so now that work is just really getting into high gear so but i do see quite a bit in in this space um another bill um to avoid kind of that sticker shock of having to go to the market to buy um uh, like natural gas for example after the freeze in texas a couple of years ago there's going to be a bill requiring all utilities to submit to the energy office in colorado um you know what is their load where do they get it from those types of details that are still being worked out so it's good to know are there any holes in our grid that we need to worry about is there enough kind of cushion of of, of, of energy supply in those kind of situations when it's really cold or when it's really hot. And so I think that's, and I'm watching utilities behind the scenes kind of get together on that. We agree. We want to, we want to fix that. Interestingly enough, I think tomorrow um, in California, their department of energy or something like that, they just figured out, basically cold fusion. It was nuclear fusion. I saw, where that. The, the, I saw that. They don't lose that. energy in, in it. Um, I think that's tomorrow they're going to announce it, which if what they're saying is true, could be a game changer. It could be yeah, a game it's changer. 10 years out, but um, I'm kind of excited about that because that adds a new and that option. kind of energy um, being deployed at a utility scale has been anticipated. And a lot of legislators, Senator Hansen, who's running for mayor of Denver now, um, utilities like Black Hills and XL, they've been working on that policy in anticipation um, of this development of this technology, cleaner nuclear. Um, uh, I know that's been an issue that's talked about in Pueblo. I mean, it's, it's a much different technology than it was, you know, 30, 20 years ago. And so uh, those are good policy debates to have. And, I, and I'm confident that you're going to see the legislature talk about it. That's good. Get ahead of it before it actually happens, because everything is so reactive right now oh that we're God. two steps behind. No so that's good to hear. Um, if you were just listening, you didn't see me literally cover my mouth with my, both my hands when we talk about the energy um, and and both uh, Mike and, and Brian know well, and if you are a long-time listener, you know well our feelings on this. I really do feel like Colorado 
could and should be the leader on these emerging technologies that make energy cleaner. Instead of pulling stuff off of the... Um, out of the portfolio and just shelving it all together. If there's a potential to make it better than anybody else, make it cleaner than anybody else, I feel like we have a responsibility and a duty to do that without breaking the backs of um, of our uh, of our communities um, and the end user number one and number two without passing that off to somebody like a Venezuela or some other country that uh, just doesn't have the same values that we do especially with regard to these kinds of things so I hope that so this is my hope for we'll call it a holiday hope that um, that we really can come together in such a way that we see ourselves as as the leaders for creating all of the technologies on clean energy. So if you're listening to this and, and you're one of these leaders, I will be knocking on your door with regard to that to say, look, we can do this. Um, quit being stubborn about the timing. So I have a question for you before your dog drags you out the window right <laughs> there. Um, I, I was literally asked this question two weeks ago. It's from a, a large business that's moving out of California, looking at Colorado to locate. Um, they have their people there saying it's kind of a mess. They're wondering, is it worth their time to move to Colorado or will they see the same problems that they're facing in, Col- in California right now, 10 years down the line? What do you say to a business like that? You know, um, I will tell you that I have, I've been on economic development trips in the past and, and the number one thing that scares businesses, especially from California, isn't what we just talked about with the legislature. It's been the threat of initiative mm-hmm. and that it almost becomes a cost of business that when interest groups or citizens put things on the ballot that create uncertainty for them. Um, that has been their bigger concern. And I, I don't see relief in that area. But what I do know is that this is the greatest state uh, in the country and people want to live here for a reason. And we're always, you know, seem to be doing things the hard way in Colorado, but at the end, we always get it done. And so for all my picking on the legislature, they, they you know, whether it's water or school finance or, or energy policy, we, we will get it right. Um, and um, the goal is to provide them the certainty they need to, um, you know, to want to live and work here. And so I would tell them that um, we're doing better in all of these areas and will continue to do so. And they should they now if my dad were here, my dad would say, tell them don't come. You know, we've <laughs> yeah. got enough. People. And um, but um but for those who want to see Colorado continue to grow and be affordable place for our kids to want to live and work, we need to have, you know, my view, responsible, a sustainable growth. So one final one, I know you got to go and we got to go. Um, would it be possible to pass or introduce a ballot initiative requiring everybody in the state legislature to spend I don't know, three weeks in rural Colorado working on a farm, (laughs) riding along with the police officer, um, teaching school, (laughs) something like that. Could we do that? Is that possible? (laughs) 
But you know, the theory is in the citizen legislature that that's what you get. You know, and I, before this call, I got a, received a call from a new legislator recently retired as a teacher, and she's so excited to get in to go work. And, and I, I love her excitement, and I'm sure she's going to make a big difference. And that's what you hope for in a, in a, in a, in a session like that. But that takes me in a good place then to conclude by saying, um, let's just say that we are not going to be able to pull that off. Then it's up to groups like Action 22 and its members to go to the legislature and say, here's what we think you're doing right. And here's what we disagree with. And here's what we want you to do. And, and, you know, and we have a responsibility to participate. And if we don't, then we kind of get what we deserve. And, um, and that's and Action Twenty Two has been very effective in that, and I appreciate the work of your board and all your sponsors. And um, I will just say that this next session is not going to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's leave it on a bright spot, then, um, Mike. What do you see? Um, what are you looking forward to in this next session? What do you see as being like? Okay, we're going to be okay, and and this will be one of the good points. You know, I. Um, I'm a nerd and I love to learn. And I think, uh, you know, seeing how, how uh, I'm optimistic that these, um, this new legislature, even though the Republicans are in such a minority, um, you know, the, the, this president of the Senate could have created very lopsided committees that really disadvantaged Republicans. And he didn't do that. Um, so I'm hopeful they're going to work together on some of these bigger items. Um, and um, the, that's what I look forward to seeing. And I, and I also thinking educating the public on really what's going on with our state budget. So if you care about school finance, that is probably the most critical thing at risk here. Um, uh, the early childhood preschool, you know, finding sustainable funding for that for our local communities because it's coming in more expensive than what people thought. I'm looking forward to kind of working together to find solutions for that. And I am optimistic uh, believe it or not, that we'll be able to do that. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Disclaimer real fast. Uh, the views and opinions expressed on making action happen do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the action 22 board or its members. And what is your dog's name? Cause I'm going to list, I'm going to put his name in the description for the episode. This is George. George. Okay. We got it. Um, so on the next episode of making action happen, we have already announced the annual meet or not the annual meeting. Oh my goodness. The Academy. We're very excited. We've been working so hard to launch the leadership policy and governance Academy LPNG LPNG for our, um, for our action 22 area. The purpose of this is to elevate those three things. So, so it's a professional fellowship that will elevate, uh, leadership policy and governance for our rural communities. We will have the new chair of the board on to talk about Garrison Ortiz, who you already know, and, um, all that we're going to do around that. So we're very excited for that. Um, and that'll happen. The legislative session starts when? January? January 9th. January 9th. The new committee, um, all of that's going to come out here. Um, Mike's going to send that to us and we'll send it on to you. So you can see how many in on those committees are, are represented. Um, 
that represent rural Colorado. So I'm looking forward to seeing that list and see um, what a good job that they did and making sure that um, everybody in the legislature knows that there is life outside of Denver. So, um, Mike, we appreciate you so much once again for doing this. We look forward to, um, and we appreciate all the hard work that you do for Action 22 and for really everybody in the state in keeping things uh, on the honest side up there at the Capitol for all of us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.